Tonight I'm talking about families. I'll be honest with you, I was not, I had a hard time writing this message this week. I had a hard time preparing a sermon to talk about families. Pastor Keenan and I were sitting in his office on Thursday morning and I was, there was something heavy on me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna cut straight to it. If you guys are good with that, I'm gonna, I got, you know, I don't want fluff. If you're a father or a husband in this room, please stand to your feet. A father or a husband, please stand to your feet. First of all, I honor you as a father and as a husband. The mantle that you hold on your shoulders is the greatest mantle that you can ever hold. You chose to be a husband. You chose to take the responsibility for another person. And I honor you for that. And those of you who are fathers, I honor you for being fathers because you chose the mantle of father. And there's so much responsibility that comes along with that. And tonight I want to speak directly to you as fathers, and I'm going to talk to the family unit as a whole, but from one father and husband to another father and husband, I challenge you, it is time to take our families back. It is time to speak directly to the things that are taking place under our roofs that we work hard to provide for the families that we work hard to feed in the house and in the home that we work hard to keep warm. Sick and tired of giving ground to an enemy who is constantly under attack in our family. And we're giving ground because we don't understand the magnitude of what is coming against our home. It is time to take back our families. So, Father, I speak right now at the very beginning of this message that you would open every ear of every father in this room. And in the name of Jesus, that you would reinstate this authority in their heart, that they would know who it is. You have called them to be, that they would know who it is. You have anointed them to be, that you made them the head of their house. And that they are established in this earth for their family to be an example, to be a priest, and to set the tone for what love looks like. Holy Spirit of God. Move on these men in a special way tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, open them to Joshua chapter 24. Pastor Keenan has got us in a series called The Fight for Love. Tonight we're going to talk about how to fight for our families. And I love the fact that we got families in the room. We got all the children in the room, in the room. So if you hear a little bit of noise during service, just praise the Lord that they're in the service. Praise the Lord for the moms who got all those little creatures here tonight in one piece. They got them dressed and fed and got them to church tonight. Families are important. Families are unique. They're different. They're weird sometimes. I'm not talking about mine. Regardless of how you do family, you need to know that your family is important to God. 
Regardless of how you do family, regardless of how you look as a family, regardless of where you live as a family or what kind of a background you have as a family, you need to know that your family is important to God. At a young age, I understood the value of what it meant to have a father and a mother in a home. At the age of five, my family picked up. We left our house in Pittsburgh, California, and we moved on an orphanage in the Valley Redondo between Tijuana and Tecate, Mexico. And at five years old, I moved on to an orphanage with 120 little children who had no father and had no mother. I lived in a double-wide trailer on the backside of 60 acres in the middle of the desert. I went to school every single day with children ranging from the age of five years old to 14 years old, and we were all in the first grade. I grew up with children who had never known their parents. I grew up with children who had been dropped off on a street corner and left because their mom and dad couldn't feed them anymore and didn't know what else to do with them. I grew up with a 14-year-old young lady who had been abused by her uncles and her father and somebody rescued her and brought her to our orphanage. I grew up from the age of five to seven with hundreds of little children who did not have families. And growing up with kids who didn't have families, I learned the value of having a mother and a father who could speak life into me and tell me that my life had purpose and value, that I was significant and God had a plan. I learned what my identity was and I learned what it was not. I learned what rules were and what standards were and what love felt like. I learned unconditional love in my home because I had parents who chose to show it and model it every time they had an opportunity. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15 is a story of the Israelites, and they're getting ready to, 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 to conquer the final part of the promised land. They've come so far, and, and they've crossed Jericho, and they, or they've crossed the river, and they've taken Jericho, and they've taken all these lands, and now they're living in the land that God has promised that, they were, that he was going to give to them and that they were going to live in. And Joshua sets up this reminder a big stone under a tree to remind the future generations of how God brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness across the river and helped them conquer all these foreign nations and gave them what it was that they had. Joshua 14 through 15 picks up here. Joshua says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers that worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt, and served the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve, whether it's the gods of your forefathers beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are currently living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is literally giving the nation of Israel an opportunity to make a decision at this very moment. He says, you can choose to do what your families have always done. You know, grandma and grandpa and how they served the gods of the Egyptians and, and they had their beliefs and they had their lifestyle that they chose to live. They had their addictions and their problems that they tried to pass down from generation to generation in you. And, and they tried to give you the things that they did and they raised you in the way they knew. 
Or you can choose to serve the gods of the land you're living in now, the Amorites, you know, the people who didn't fear God, that we conquered, we destroyed. They prayed to their gods that they would defeat us, but our God is the only real God. That's why their gods are no longer in existence. So you can choose to serve the Egyptian gods that you came from or the current false gods that you're living with, or you can choose to serve the God who has been faithful to you and provided for you and given to you and blessed you. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say, the same God who gave you the olive groves you eat from that you didn't plant, and the vineyards that you drink from that you didn't plant, and the lands that you grow food in that you didn't earn, he gave you those things. So you can choose to serve the false gods that didn't do anything for you in Egypt. You can serve the false gods who aren't doing anything for you in the land you're living in now, or you can choose to serve the God who has done everything for you from the beginning of time. Now, if serving that God doesn't seem good to you, That's your choice. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're in the middle of a series about love. In the middle of a month where we have a holiday dedicated to love, in a society that is desperately trying to define love, but living in a world that despite its best efforts is completely void of true love. Love is becoming the most misunderstood and misused words of all time. Love has been placed as a capstone for excuses of immorality and lust and anger and division and perversion and preference. Love has been abused, love has been destroyed, love has been offered, and love has been lost. But why? Why is it that in our society he's become so ignorant to the true love of Jesus? Why is it that even we in the church sometimes have often misrepresented the love of God? There's a lot of different opinions and a lot of different answers, but I believe that one of the main reasons why we do not understand what true love looks like is because the family structure has been attacked and destroyed. When marriage and family are strong, the family is strong. You understand God created three institutions Marriage, family, and the church. There are three things that God set up that he said these are important and they're valuable. Marriage, family, and church. Two of the three take place under your roof. Do you understand the magnitude of the responsibility that has been given to you by the Lord? When you got married and started a family, he said, two of the three things that I have put in place on this earth that will not be destroyed is family and marriage. Two of those three things take place in your household. Are you taking care of the things that God has established or not? Do you understand the magnitude of the responsibility that you wore when you said, I do? You didn't say I do to everything you knew. You said I do to everything you weren't even aware of yet. When you say I do and we're going to start a family, do you understand that when God blesses you with a child, that's not just a little twinkle up in the stars that's come down to live in your house. There's no stork going to deliver that little child to you. You don't get to go to Walmart and order the one that you want that lives the way you want and is obedient the way you want. God blesses you with the child that he needs you to raise. Please understand that the child that lives in your house has been put in your house because what you have, they need to do what God has put them on this planet to do. 
That child is not there by accident. That child is there by design. Because what you have to invest in that life is what God needs them to learn in your home so they can live the life God designed them to live to accomplish the plan that he put, this on, put them on this earth to accomplish. Having children is an honor. Sons born to a young man are like arrows in the hands of a young warrior. All that his life would be blessed and his quiver would be filled and he would not be put to shame when he meets his enemies at the gates. That's Psalm 127. Oh, that your life would be blessed. That God would entrust you with a little life. It's got fingerprints. It's got hair, it's got eyes, it's got opinions, it's got a brain, it's got a heart, it's got personality. Oh, that God would bless you with the opportunity to help shape the future of a life. Family is one of the most significant and important institutions that God has ever put in place. Family is where we learn to love, it's where we learn about faith, it's where we learn how to serve, it's where we learn how to work hard and be responsible. Family is where God intended for us to grow and thrive practically and spiritually as we prepare for life. Family is where I learned how to respect my mother. One night I was 16 years old and I was sitting in my parents' house and my mom made you know, barbecue chicken. She made chicken like six times a week. It was the staple in our house. And barbecue chicken. And she brought us down our food and we're eating it. And my mom, you know, talk, she goes, how's the food, Ryan? And I said, it's chicken, mom. It's chicken. I don't know what you want me to say. It's chicken. It's, I guess it's, you know, it, I'm eating it. And my father, in his very specific way, looked over at me and said, go to the garage. Bet, let's go to the garage. So I hopped right up like the 16-year-old dummy that I was, and I went walking right down the hallway. I had no idea that he had gotten out of his chair as well. And I went walking down the hallway, and I opened the garage door with all the confidence that a 16-year-old could muster up. And I got out to the garage, and I turned around, and my father was nose-to-nose -nose with me. And with his piercing blue eyes, he looked right in my face, and he said, don't ever talk to my wife like that again. Now, I want to help you understand something. The moment that my mom was all of a sudden his wife was a bad moment in my life. My dad leveled me. I mean, I was on my back. When I say leveled me, I was on my back. He didn't, he didn't like lay me down. Like he leveled me. I learned how to respect my mother in my home. But I also learned how to pray. I learned how to pray because I would wake up in the morning and I'd walk downstairs and my father would be in his chair praying for his wife, praying for his two sons, praying for his sister and his brother and his parents. My dad had charge and responsibility over 450 churches, and they all had youth pastors, and my dad was responsible for the development of those pastors. My dad prayed for those pastors. Where I learned how to bless and be a blessing it's where I learned that lying hurts and being honest is a good thing. It's where I learned what unconditional love felt like and looked like. So naturally as the devil does, he came along and he saw the power and the authority that God had put in the family unit with a father and a mother and their children, and began to twist it and distort it and break it and attempt to dismantle the very place that God intended for us to be safe and learn what love was. 
Now I want to make sure I make this clear. There is no judgment or condemnation being passed tonight regardless of your family structure. My prayer is that preparing, as preparing for the sermon tonight, that you would hear from the Spirit of God and you would build a home and a family that honors God, obeys God's word, and loves the people that he entrusts into your home. But make no mistake, your family, your marriage, your children's lives and future are currently under attack by an enemy who wants them destroyed at any means necessary. I'm going to let that sit and I'm going to say it one more time. You guys listening? You hearing me? Your marriage, your family, and your children, and the future of all of those things are currently under attack by an enemy who will do anything he can to cause division and destroy. So my question to you tonight is this. How are you fighting back against that enemy who's currently trying to attack your family? How are you fighting back against an enemy who is currently trying to dismantle your marriage? Husbands? What are you doing to fight? And who are you fighting? And are you fighting the right person? You fighting the right person? Don't look at her. When your children are constantly under attack and they're waking up with bad dreams, are you having times of prayer with them? Or are you telling them to buck it up and not cry and go back to bed? When your children are coming home because they're getting bullied at school, are you praying with your children and encouraging your children? Or are you telling them to be tougher? If your family is under attack, are you doing what you need to do to pray? Are you wearing your armor? Or are you going in hoping that everything's going to be okay and you just need to be tough? Every morning I wake up, I pray for my wife. And I'd like to tell you that for the 12 years that we've been married, I've done that every day. But that would be a lie. I have not. No, no, no. I had to learn how to wake up and pray for my wife when we went through one of the most difficult seasons of our life three years ago. When the devil came at my family and came at my marriage and did everything he could to tear it apart and break it apart and give us every reason to leave each other and try something different, we had to fight for our marriage. And my wife looked at me and said, I don't know if I can ever trust you again. I looked back at her and said, I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm just asking you to trust what the Lord is going to do in me. I'm not asking you to trust the man of flesh. I'm asking you to trust the God who lives in this man. How are you fighting for your families, men? We fight for our families in three ways. We pray. A family that prays together stays together. There's a supernatural authority that comes into your home when you gather together and you pray. You know how I'm teaching my sons how to pray? I pull them together with their mother and the four of us pray. Every morning before they leave the house, I pull them under my arms and I pray over them every morning. Every morning, I'm looking down, they got stinky breath, they haven't brushed their teeth, their hair's a mess, they got different color socks on, and they are looking like a hot mess trying to go to school. And I put my hands on their heads and I pray blessing over my sons. The second way we fight for our families, and hear me when I say this, we set standards and we hold them. Yeah, yeah, that's not, a, that's not an amen moment, but we're going to try it again, and we're going to get some amens from the men in the house. We fight for our families by setting standards and holding those standards. 
We set standards in our home, and then we hold those standards. We don't change the standards just because society changes. We hold the standard. This is the standard. How do you set a standard? I set my standard based on what the Word of God says, and I'm not going to change regardless of what people think believers say. This is my standard. You set a standard. We don't say certain things in my house. There's certain words we don't use in my house. There's a standard in my home. There's only two things you get spanked for. My my sons will tell you there's only two things you get spanked for in my house. Lying and disrespecting your mother. That's it. That's it. Only two things you get spanked for. And I promise you, they know when they lie, go to your room. It's coming. There are standards that we set in our house, and we don't change them. There are words that my wife and I refuse to say to each other. We don't say them. We never say the word divorce. That word will never be used in my house. Doesn't matter how bad it gets, that word will never be used in my home. That's a standard that we have set. There's another standard as it pertains to our money. We tithe. We tithe on every dollar that comes into our house. I don't care where it comes from. We tithe on it. My boys get Christmas money. You better believe Limitless Church is getting 10%. We go out and we work and we cut down trees. They mow lawns. They're doing whatever they're doing. They get, they get birthday money. If they lose a tooth, they tie them what the tooth fairy gave them. I promise you right now. They tie them with the prom, on what the tooth fairy gets them. They lose a tooth. Praise God, man. Ten cents going to Limitless Church this week. Praise God. Yeah, you better believe. We set standards. This is what Joshua chapter 24 was doing. Joshua was standing before the people and he was setting a standard for his family, but he was giving the other men in the room, the other men that were listening, the other fathers in the place, he was giving them the opportunity to set the standard for their family. You can choose to serve the gods from Egypt or you can choose to serve the gods in the land you live in now, but my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Now you do what you want to do. You set the standard for your family, but keep that standard. My family, we're going to serve God. God's done too much in my life for me not to serve him. God's shown himself too faithful in my life for me not to honor him. God has done way too much in my life, in my marriage, in my children for me not to honor the Lord with my family. So you do what you want to do, and that's fine. That's between you and Jesus and your wife. But my family, well, we're going to serve the Lord. The last thing, the third thing we do to fight for our families is we commit to building each other regardless of circumstances. We commit to building each other up regardless of circumstances. The way you treat your family is a witness to other people. If we want people to see the love of Jesus, then they should be able to watch the way we treat each other in our family, and that's all the proof that they will ever need. Fathers, how do you talk to your wife in front of your children? Somebody said, hello, I'm going to say it again. How do you talk to your wife in front of your sons, in front of your daughters? How do you talk to your sons? How do you talk to your daughters? Mothers, how do you talk to your husbands in front of your sons and in front of your daughters? Can I tell you something right now? Children do what is caught, not what is taught. Children do what is caught, not what is taught. In other words, what you do, they'll do, not what you say. Every now and then, my son will say something just quick, right off the top. With his tongue, he'll say something. It'll be sarcastic as I'll get up, and my wife just turns and glares at me. 
because it's all my fault. I know. I'm aware of where it starts. I know where it comes from. Apple fell straight down from that tree. I don't want to tell you how your family should look, but I do want to show you what the Word of God says about how your family should look. I'm going to jump ahead in my notes here. Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 says this, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. If you're a child, I don't care what age you are, if you're a child, stand to your feet right now. If you're a kid, if you're a kid, okay. Now, now everyone's going to be standing up. That's hilarious. So let me do it this way. If you're 20 years old to 10 years old, stand up right now. 20 years old to 10 years old, stand up right now. Stand up. 20 years old to 10 years old. Five, six, seven, ten. Yeah, you count. That's fine. Look at me. Throw that verse on the screen. Computer's dead. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Look at me and listen to me. Teenagers, young people, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let me translate that in something you can understand. Honor your parents... Honor your parents so that the blessings that God has prepared for you in advance, you're prepared to receive because you know how to honor your family. If you don't know how to honor your parents, why would God ever honor you with the blessings he has prepared for you? If you don't know how to honor the people that provided for you, what makes you think, excuse me, if you don't know how to honor the people that prepared everything and provided for you, what makes you think that God is going to honor you with other things that he has prepared for you? How you honor your family and how you honor your parents tells God whether or not you're going to honor him. I'm going to say that again. How you choose to honor your parents is going to show God whether or not you know how to honor him with what it is he wants to give you. Honor your mother and your father so you may live long in the blessings that God has prepared for you. Sit down. Sit down. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. You guys still with me? Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Husbands, love your wives. Be patient. Be kind. Don't envy. Don't boast. Kill your pride. Don't be so fast to get angry. Be gracious. Don't be rude. Put her first. Forgive and forgive forever. Don't be keeping records of wrongs because God's not keeping a record of wrongs that you've committed. So don't be keeping records of wrongs that she's done. Protect, trust, hope, and never give up. Husbands, love your wives. Wives. Be very careful what I say to you. So I'm just going to say this. Be the kind of wife that's deserving of that kind of love. Was that good? Was that okay? Was that okay, baby? Did I say that good? Okay. All right. That's all I have written for the ladies. I ain't going at y'all at all. I know better. 
be the kind of wife who is deserving of that kind of love. He doesn't love me the way I deserve to be loved. Do you treat him the way that he deserved to be treated? Do you talk to him the way he needs to be talked to? I can tell you this right now. I have not, I have not always been a good husband. But I have always had a wife who prayed for me. I have not always honored my wife. But I have always had a wife who loved the Lord and lifted me up. I can tell you right now the man I am today is directly related to the fact my wife never stopped praying for me. She has never stopped praying for me. It took 10 years of prayer for her to see some change in my life and she never stopped praying. My wife deserves the best because she has never stopped treating me with respect. Parents, don't embitter your kids, but encourage them and love them. Please, 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 dear Lord, discipline your children. Can I tell you the different the difference here between discipline and punishment? What time I got? I got a couple minutes. Let me tell you the, dis- the difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment produces pain. Discipline produces change. Okay, we're going to say that all over again. We're going to write this down. You're going to get this tattooed tomorrow. Punishment produces pain. Discipline produces change. Punishment is a reaction. Discipline requires thought. Punishment hurts them in the moment and causes bitterness to grow. Discipline, discipline hurts for the moment but produces change for the better in the future. Punishment tears them down and cuts things off. Discipline allows for pruning and growth of better. Understand the difference between punishment and discipline. Discipline your children. Don't punish your children. Teach them a lesson. Don't just hurt them because you're angry. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 through 5. says, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Respect is earned, not given. We earn the respect of our children and our families through our work ethic, our time spent with them, our attention to them, and our compassion for them. And I'm going to say something else to the parents in the room. All the parents in the room, I'm just going to go right on ahead and say this in front of your children. You have every right in the world to determine who your children are friends with. You have every right in the world to determine what your children listen to, what they watch, where they go, whose house they go to, what kind of a place they attend. You have every right in the world to say something about it. And if they get angry, it means you were right 100% of the time. Don't you dare forfeit the God-given responsibility as a parent that he gave you to have protection over your children. You trust your gut. And if they get angry with you about it, that's fine. They're going to be angry about something else tomorrow. Just let them be angry for a minute. That's okay. You have every right. Don't forfeit that right. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1 through 20. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in the land. 
Parents, I want to say this real quick. If you expect your children to be obedient children, then you need to be setting the example of what obedience looks like. Why would you ever expect your children to honor and obey you if you're not honoring and obeying God in your life? Kids do what's caught, not what's taught. And please know this too, that what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. If being in the house of God is an option for you, it will become unnecessary for your children. If bashing leadership is something you do from time to time in your home, your kids will grow up with no respect for authority. If dishonor is the way you treat your spouse, your children will never know how to honor anybody else. But the reverse is true as well. If prayer is a part of your daily life, your children will grow to trust God even more. If the Bible is respected and used as the foundation for life lessons, your children will grow to revere it and not ignore it. If forgiveness is modeled and given freely in your house, your children will grow to know the grace and the mercy of God. Children do what's caught, not what's taught. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are grown, they will not depart from it. If you have a prodigal child in this house tonight, don't quit praying for your prodigal. Hope is never lost when Jesus is involved. There is never no hope when Jesus is involved. If you have raised your child up in the way they should go, I promise you, the word of God does not go out and return empty. The word of God does not go out and return back void. If the word of God was implanted in them as a child in any level for any reason, it will yield fruit. Just pray. 